Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles published. First, Annals of Surgery. Robotic lobectomy is cost-effective and provides comparable health utility scores to video-assisted lobectomy, early results of the Ravel trial. Objective. The aim of this study was to determine if robotic-assisted lobectomy, RPL4, is cost-effective and offers improved patient-reported health utility for patients with early-stage non-small cell lung cancer when compared with video-assisted thoracic surgery lobectomy, that's lobectomy. Background. Barriers against the adoption of RPL4 in publicly funded health care include the paucity of high-quality prospective trials and the perceived high cost of robotic surgery. Methods. Patients were enrolled in a blinded, multi-centered, randomized controlled trial in Canada, the United States, and France, and were randomized one-to-one to either RPL4 or vatslobectomy. Eurocall 5-dimension 5-level, EQ5D 5-liters, was administered at baseline and postoperative day 1, weeks 3, 7, 12, and months 6 and 12. Direct and indirect costs were tracked using standard methods. Seemingly unrelated regression was applied to estimate the cost effect, adjusting for baseline health utility. The incremental cost-effectiveness ratio was generated by 10,000 bootstrap samples with multivariate imputation by chained equations. Results Of 406 patients screened, 186 were randomized, and 164 analyzed after the final eligibility review RPL4, N equals 81, that's lobectomy. N equals 83. 12-month follow-up was completed by 94.51%, of participants. The median age was 68, 60-74. There were no significant differences in body mass index, comorbidity, pulmonary function, smoking status, baseline health utility, or tumor characteristics between arms. The mean 12-week health utility score was 0.85, 0.10, for RPL4 and 0.80, 0.19, for vatslobectomy, P equals 0.02. Significantly more lymph nodes were sampled, 10, 8 to 13, versus 8, 5 to 10, P equals 0.003, in the RPL4 arm. The incremental cost slash quality adjusted life year of RPL4 was $14,925.62, 95% C, at 12 months. Conclusion Early results of the Ravel trial suggest that RPL4 is cost-effective and associated with comparable short-term patient-reported health utility scores when compared with vatslobectomy. Collaborative team training in virtual reality is superior to individual learning for performing complex open surgery, a randomized controlled trial. Objective 
To assess whether multiplayer immersive virtual reality, IVR, training was superior to single-player training for the acquisition of both technical and non-technical skills in learning complex surgery. Background Superior teamwork in the operating room, or, is associated with improved technical performance and clinical outcomes. IVR can successfully train or staff individually, however, IVR team training has yet to be investigated. Methods 40 participants were randomized to individual or team IVR training. Individually trained participants practiced alongside virtual avatar counterparts, whereas teams trained live in pairs. Both groups underwent five IVR training sessions over six weeks. Subsequently, they completed a real-life assessment in which they performed anterior approach total hip arthroplasty surgery on a high-fidelity model with real equipment in a simulated OR. Teams performed together, and individually trained participants were randomly paired up. Videos were marked by two blinded assessors recording the non-operative technical skills for surgeons, Oxford Non-Technical Skills 2 and Scrub Practitioners list of intraoperative non-technical skills scores. Secondary outcomes were procedure duration and the number of technical errors. Results Teams outperformed individually trained participants for non-technical skills in the real-world assessment, non-operative technical skills for surgeons, 13.1 plus or minus 1.5 versus 10.6 plus or minus 1.6, p equals 0.002, non-technical skills 2 score, 51.7 plus or minus 5.5 versus 42.3 plus or minus 5.6, p equals 0.001 and scrub practitioners list of intraoperative non-technical skills, 10 plus or minus 1.2 versus 7.9 plus or minus 1.6, P equals 0.004. They completed the assessment 33% faster, 28.2 minutes plus or minus 5.5 versus 41.8 plus or minus 8.9, P less than 0.001, and made fewer than half the number of technical errors, 10.4 plus or minus 6.1 versus 22.6 plus or minus 5.4, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Multiplayer training leads to faster surgery with fewer technical errors and the development of superior non-technical skills. Understanding variation in in-hospital mortality after major surgery in the United States. Objectives. We aim to quantify the contributions of patient characteristics, PC, hospital structural characteristics, HC, and hospital operative volumes, HOV, to in-hospital mortality, IHM, after major surgery in the United States, U.S. Background The volume-outcome relationship correlates higher HOV with decreased IHM. However, IHM after major surgery is multifactorial, and the relative contribution of PC, HC, and HOV to IHM after major surgery is unknown. Study design. Patients undergoing major pancreatic, esophageal, lung, bladder, and rectal operations between 2006 and 2011 were identified from the nationwide inpatient sample linked to the American Hospital Association survey. Multilevel logistic regression models were constructed using PC, HC, and HOV to calculate attributable variability in IHM for each. Results. 80,969 patients across 1,025 hospitals were included. 
Postoperative IHM ranged from 0.9% for rectal to 3.9% for esophageal surgery. Patient characteristics contributed most of the variability in IHM for esophageal, 63%, pancreatic, 62.9%, rectal, 41.2%, and lung, 44.4%, operations. HOV explained less than 25% of variability for pancreatic, esophageal, lung, and rectal surgery. HC accounted for 16.9% and 17.4% of the variability in IHM for esophageal and rectal surgery. Unexplained variability in IHM was high in the lung, 44.3%, bladder, 39.3%, and rectal, 33.7%, surgery subgroups. Conclusions Despite recent policy focus on the volume-outcome relationship, HOV was not the most important contributor to IHM for the major organ surgeries studied. PC remains the largest identifiable contributor to hospital mortality. Quality improvement initiatives should emphasize patient optimization and structural improvements, in addition to investigating the yet unexplained sources contributing to IHM. Phenotype and postoperative complications after elective surgery. Objectives To characterize and quantify accumulating immunologic alterations, pre and postoperatively in patients undergoing elective surgical procedures. Background Elective surgery is an anticipatable, controlled human injury. Although the human response to injury is generally stereotyped, individual variability exists. This makes surgical outcomes less predictable even after standardized procedures, and may provoke complications in patients unable to compensate for their injury. One potential source of variation is found in immune cell maturation, with phenotypic changes dependent on an individual's unique, lifelong response to environmental antigens. Methods We enrolled 248 patients in a prospective trial facilitating comprehensive biospecimen and clinical data collection in patients scheduled to undergo elective surgery. Peripheral blood was collected preoperatively, and immediately on return to the post-anesthesia care unit. Postoperative complications that occurred within 30 days after surgery were captured. Results As this was an elective surgical cohort, outcomes were generally favorable. With a median follow-up of 6 months, the overall survival at 30 days was 100%. However, 20.5% of the cohort experienced a postoperative complication, infection, readmission, or system dysfunction. We identified substantial heterogeneity of immune senescence and terminal differentiation phenotypes in surgical patients. More importantly, phenotypes indicating increased T-cell maturation and senescence were associated with postoperative complications and were evident preoperatively. Conclusions The baseline immune repertoire may define an immune signature of resilience to surgical injury and help predict risk for surgical complications. Association of Housing Status with Types of Operations and Postoperative Health Care Utilization Objective To analyze the association between housing status and the nature of surgical care provided, health care utilization, and operational outcomes. Background Unhoused patients have worse outcomes and higher health care utilization across multiple clinical domains. However, 
little has been published describing the burden of surgical disease in unhoused patients. Methods We conducted a retrospective cohort study of 111,267 operations from 2013 to 2022 with housing status documented at a single, tertiary care institution. We conducted unadjusted bivariate and multivariate analyzes adjusting for sociodemographic and clinical characteristics. Results A total of 998 operations, 0.8%, were performed for unhoused patients, with a higher proportion of emergent operations than housed patients, 56% versus 22%. In unadjusted analysis, unhoused patients had longer length of stay, 18.7 versus 8.7 days, higher readmissions, 9.5% versus 7.5%, higher in hospital, 2.9% versus 1.8%, and one-year mortality, 10.1% versus 8.2%, more in hospital reoperations, 34.6% versus 15.9%, and higher utilization of social work, physical therapy, and occupational therapy services. After adjusting for age, sex, comorbidities, insurance status, and indication for operation, as well as stratifying by emergent versus elective operation, these differences went away for emergent operations. Conclusions In this retrospective cohort analysis, unhoused patients more commonly underwent emergent operations than their housed counterparts and had more complex hospitalizations on an unadjusted basis that largely disappeared after adjustment for patient and operative characteristics. These findings suggest issues with upstream access to surgical care that, when unaddressed, may predispose this vulnerable population to more complex hospitalizations and worse longer-term outcomes. Interoperative Applications of Artificial Intelligence in Robotic Surgery, a Scoping Review of Current Development Stages and Levels of Autonomy Objective. A scoping review of the literature was conducted to identify intraoperative artificial intelligence, AI, applications for robotic surgery under development and categorize them by 1. Purpose of the applications, 2. Level of autonomy, 3. Stage of development, and 4. Type of measured outcome. Background. In robotic surgery, AI-based applications have the potential to disrupt a field so far based on a master-slave paradigm. However, there is no available overview about this technology's current stage of development and level of autonomy. Methods Medline and Embase were searched between January 1, 2010 and May 21, 2022. Abstract screening, full-text review and data extraction were performed independently by two reviewers. The level of autonomy was defined according to the Yang and colleagues' classification and stage of development according to the idea, development, evaluation, assessment, and long-term follow-up framework. Results 129 studies were included in the review. 97 studies, 75%, described applications providing robot assistance, autonomy level 1, 30 studies, 23%, application enabling task autonomy, autonomy level 2, and 2 studies, 2%, application achieving conditional autonomy, autonomy level 3. All studies were at IDEA, development, evaluation, assessment, and long-term follow-up stage 0 and no clinical investigations on humans were found. 116, 90%, conducted in silico or ex vivo experiments on inorganic material, 9, 7%, 
ex vivo experiments on organic material, and 4, 3%, performed in vivo experiments in porcine models. Conclusions Clinical evaluation of interoperative AI applications for robotic surgery is still in its infancy and most applications have a low level of autonomy. With increasing levels of autonomy, the evaluation focus seems to shift from AI-specific metrics to process outcomes, although common standards are needed to allow comparison between systems. Multicenter, Prospective Cohort Study of Esophageal Injuries and Related Clinical Outcomes, Musowix Study Objective To identify prognostic factors associated with 90-day mortality in patients with esophageal perforation, op, and characterize the specific timeline from presentation to intervention, and its relation to mortality. Background Op is a rare gastrointestinal surgical emergency with a high mortality rate. However, there is no updated evidence on its outcomes in the context of centralized esophagogastric services, updated consensus guidelines, and novel non-surgical treatment strategies. Methods A multicenter, prospective cohort study involving eight high-volume esophagogastric centers, January 2016 to December 2020, was undertaken. The primary outcome measure was 90-day mortality. Secondary measures included length of hospital and ICU stay, and complications requiring re-intervention or readmission. Mortality model training was performed using random forest, support vector machines, and logistic regression with and without elastic net regularization. Chronological analysis was performed by examining each patient's journey time point with reference to symptom onset. Results The mortality rate for 369 patients included was 18.9%. Patients treated conservatively, Endoscopically, surgically, or combined approaches had mortality rates of 24.1%, 23.7%, 8.7%, and 18.2%, respectively. The predictive variables for mortality were Charlson comorbidity index, hemoglobin count, leukocyte count, creatinine levels, cause of perforation, presence of cancer, hospital transfer, CT findings, whether a contrast swallow was performed, and intervention type. Stepwise interval models showed that time to diagnosis was the most significant contributor to mortality. Conclusions Non-surgical strategies have better outcomes and may be preferred in selected cohorts to manage perforations. Outcomes can be significantly improved through better risk stratification based on aforementioned modifiable risk factors. Serum interleukin-6 level is associated with overall survival and treatment response in gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer. Objective To identify novel prognostic and predictive biomarkers for gastric and gastroesophageal junction, g adenocarcinoma. Background There are few biomarkers to guide treatment for g The systemic inflammatory response of g patients is associated with survival. In this study, we evaluated the relationship of circulating serum cytokine levels with overall survival, OS and pathologic tumor regression grade, TRG, in g patients. Patients and Methods We queried the UT Southwestern Gastric Cancer Biobank to identify consecutive patients diagnosed with g from 2016 to 2022, 
these patients had pretreatment serum collected at diagnosis. For patients who received neoadjuvant therapy, an additional serum sample was collected immediately before surgical resection. An unbiased screen of 17 cytokines was measured in a discovery cohort. A multivariable Cox proportional hazards model was used to assess the association of cytokine concentration with OS. Findings were validated in additional patients. In patients who received neoadjuvant therapy, we assessed whether the change in interleukin-6, IL-6, after therapy was associated with TRG. Results 67 patients were included in the discovery cohort and IL-6 was the only pretreatment cytokine associated with OS. This was validated in 134 other patients, hazard ratio, 1.012 per 1 pg per milliliter increase, 95% C, 1.006 to 1.019, P equals 0.0002. Patients in the top tercile of IL-6 level had worse median OS, 10.6 months, compared with patients in the intermediate, 17.4 months and bottom tercile, 35.8 months. P less than 0.0001. Among patients who underwent neoadjuvant therapy, N equals 50, an unchanged or decrease in IL-6 level from pretreatment to posttreatment, had a sensitivity and specificity of 80% for predicting complete or near-complete pathologic tumor regression, TRG 0 to 1. Conclusions Pretreatment serum level of IL-6 is a promising prognostic biomarker for g patients. Comparing pre- and post-neoadjuvant IL-6 levels may predict pathologic response to neoadjuvant therapy. Management for Acute Uncomplicated Appendicitis During Pregnancy, National Trends and Patient Outcomes Objective this study analyzes national trends in the management of uncomplicated appendicitis during pregnancy, comparing outcomes for non-operative management, NOM, and appendectomy. Background In the non-pregnant population, several randomized control trials demonstrated non-inferiority of NOM compared with appendectomy for acute uncomplicated appendicitis. However, it remains unclear whether these findings are generalizable to pregnant patients. Methods the national inpatient sample was queried for pregnant women diagnosed with acute uncomplicated appendicitis from January 2003 to September 2015. Patients were categorized by treatment, NOM, laparoscopic appendectomy, LA, and open appendectomy. A quasi-experimental analysis with interrupted time series examined the relationship between the year of admission and the likelihood of receiving NOM. Multivariable logistic regression analyzes were used to evaluate the association between treatment strategy and patient outcomes. Results A total of 33,120 women satisfied the inclusion criteria. Respectively, 1,070, 3.2%, 18,736, 56.6%, and 13,314, 40.2%, underwent NOM, LA, and open appendectomy. The NOM rate significantly increased between 2006 and 2015, with an annual increase of 13.9%, 95% C, 8.5 to 19.4, P less than 0.001. Compared with LA, NOM was significantly associated with higher rates of preterm abortion, odds ratio or 3.057, 95% C, 2.210 to 4.229, 
P less than 0.001, and preterm labor slash delivery, or, 3.186, 95% C, 2.326 to 4.365, P less than 0.001. Each day of delay to appendectomy was associated with significantly greater rates of preterm abortion, or, 1.210, 95% C, 1.123 to 1.303, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Although NAM has been increasing as a treatment for pregnant patients with uncomplicated appendicitis, compared with LA, it is associated with worse clinical outcomes. Safety and efficacy of Iltimia cell cellular therapy for the treatment of fecal incontinence. Results of a phase half study. Objective. To examine the safety and efficacy of Iltimia cell, an investigational cellular therapy of autologous muscle-derived cells, as a treatment for fecal incontinence, phi, in adults. Background. Limited therapeutic options are available for patients with phi refractory to conservative treatments. Cell therapy using autologous muscle-derived cells represents a promising, minimally invasive approach for restoring anal sphincter function. Methods In this multicenter, prospective, non-randomized study, 48 participants were treated with a single Iltimia cell dose of 250 times 10 sick cells. The primary outcome was the incidence of product or procedure-related adverse events, A's, and serious A's. Secondary outcomes were changes in the number of phi episodes, Cleveland Clinic incontinence score, fecal incontinence quality of life, and anorectal manometry at 3, 6, and 12 months compared to baseline. Results No serious A's and only one product-related A of inflammation at the injection site were reported. At 12 months, there was a reduction in median phi episodes, minus 6.0, 95% confidence interval, C, minus 10.0, minus 1.0, and days with episodes, minus 4.0, 95% C, minus 8.0, minus 1.0. A greater than or equal to 50% reduction in phi episodes was observed in 53.7% of participants, and 24.4% had complete restoration of continence. Symptom severity and quality of life improved with mean Cleveland Clinic incontinence score reduction, minus 2.9, 95% C, minus 3.7, minus 2.1 and fecal incontinence quality of life increased, 2.2, 95% C colon 1.4, 2.9. No significant changes were detected in anorectal manometry measurements. A history of episiotomy was significantly associated with treatment response in multivariate analysis. Conclusion The administration of Iltimia cell cellular therapy is safe. Iltimia cell shows promise for significantly improving fecal incontinence symptoms and quality of life. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. The Hand and Wrist, Antimicrobials and Infection, Hawaii, Trial. Background. Hand Trauma comprising injuries to both the hand and wrist, affects over 5 million people per year in the NHS, resulting in 250 000 operations each year. Surgical site infection, SSI, following hand trauma surgery leads to significant morbidity. 
Triclosan-coated sutures may reduce SSI in major abdominal surgery but have never been tested in hand trauma. Feasibility needs to be ascertained before a definitive trial can be delivered in hand trauma. Methods A multicenter feasibility RCT of antimicrobial sutures versus standard sutures involving adults undergoing surgery for hand trauma to evaluate feasibility for a definitive trial. Secondary objectives were incidence of SSI in both groups, hand function measured with patient-reported outcome measures, health-related quality of life and change in employment. Randomization was performed on a one-to-one basis, stratified by age of the patient and whether the injury was open or closed, using a secure, centralized, online randomization service. Participants were blinded to allocation. Results 116 participants were recruited and randomized, 60 intervention, 56 control. Of 227 screened, most were eligible, 89.5%, and most who were approached agreed to be included in the study, 84.7%. Retention was low, 57.5% at 30 days, 52% at 90 days and 45.1% at 6 months. Incidence of SSI was greater than 20% in both groups. Hand function deteriorated after injury but recovered to near pre-injury levels during the study period. Conclusions Risk of SSI after hand trauma is high. A definitive RCT of antimicrobial sutures in hand trauma surgery is feasible, if retention is improved. Long-term patient reported outcomes of immediate breast reconstruction after mastectomy for breast cancer, population-based cohort study. Background Breast reconstruction is offered to improve quality of life for women after mastectomy for breast cancer, but information regarding the long-term patient reported outcomes of different reconstruction procedures is currently lacking. The brighter study aimed to evaluate long-term patient reported outcomes after immediate breast reconstruction, IBR, in a population-based cohort. Methods Women who underwent mastectomy with IBR for breast cancer in England between January 1, 2008 and March 31, 2009 were identified from National Health Service Hospital episode statistics. Surviving women were invited to complete the breast Q, EQ5D5 liters TM, and IceCap A at least 12 years after the index procedure. Questionnaires were scored according to developers' instructions and compared by IBR type. Results Some 1,236 women underwent IBR, 343, 27.8%, had two-stage expander-slash-implant, 630, 51.0%, latissimus dorsi, and 263, 21.3%, abdominal flap reconstructions, with a mean SD follow-up of 13.30.5 years. Women who underwent abdominal flap reconstruction reported higher scores in all breast Q domains than those who had other procedures. These differences remain statistically significant and clinically meaningful after adjusting for age, ethnicity, geographical region, socioeconomic status, smoking, BMI, and complications. The greatest difference was seen in scores for satisfaction with breasts. Women who had abdominal flap reconstructions reported scores that were 13.17, 95% CI 9.48 to 16.87 points, P less than 0.001, higher than those among women who had two-stage expander-slash-implant procedures. 
women who underwent latissimus dorsi reconstruction reported significantly more pain-slash-discomfort on the EQ5D5 liters TM, but no other differences between procedures were seen. Conclusion Long-term patient reported outcomes are significantly better following abdominal flap reconstruction than other traditional procedure types. These findings should be shared with women considering IBR to help them make informed decisions about their surgical options. Long-term outcome after surgical resection of non-high-risk gastrointestinal stromal tumors without adjuvant therapy. Background Gastrointestinal stromal tumor, GISD, is the most common intra-abdominal sarcoma. Risk classification systems, commonly the modified National Institutes of Health Consensus Criteria, identify tumor properties relating to patient outcomes. However, owing to limited long-term evidence, most guidelines recommend up to 10-year follow-up for all risk groups except very low-risk GIST. Methods This retrospective multicenter study included patients who had complete resection of primary, non-metastatic GIST from three Scandinavian sarcoma centers, Gothenburg, 2004-2020, Stockholm, 2000-2019 and Oslo, 2000-2017. Medical records were reviewed for clinical details regarding diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up, and recurrence-free and disease-specific survival evaluated. Results The total cohort consisted of 1,213 patients with GIST. High-risk patients and those treated with tyrosine kinase inhibitors were excluded. The remaining 649 patients were included in the present analysis, 118 with very low, 381 with low and 150 with intermediate risk GISTs. Five-year recurrence-free survival rates were 198.5 and 100% for the intermediate, low and very low risk groups respectively, P equals 0.246. Disease-specific survival rates 10 years after surgery were 198.4 and 100% for the intermediate, low and very low risk groups respectively, P equals 0.262. Conclusion Patients with completely resected non-high-risk GIS have an excellent long-term outcome, irrespective of risk group. Follow-up programs to detect disease recurrences in these patients are probably not indicated. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Anatomic Feasibility of a Modular Endobental Stent Graft System for Type A Aortic Dissection Objective The implementation of thoracic endovascular aortic repair in patients with type A aortic dissection has been strictly constrained due to the pulsatile movement and distensibility and the insufficient length of landing zones on ascending aorta. The most prevalent anatomical limitation is the insufficient length of proximal and distal landing zones. We propose a modularly designed endobental stent graft system to broaden the scope of thoracic endovascular aortic repair in the ascending aorta by covering intimal tiers in the aortic root and ascending aorta and reconstructing coronary arteries. This study was conducted to assess the anatomical feasibility of a novel stent graft design. Methods In this study, we included 152 patients with type A aortic dissection for image measurement and analysis. 
All computed tomography and geography images were assessed on a 3-Menzio workstation version 10.2, 3-Menzio medical imaging BV, utilizing the centerline method. We compared the diameters and lengths at various planes in relation to the proposed anatomical criteria for the modular endobental stent graft system. Results The patients were predominantly male, 67.1%, with a median age of 56.5 years, interquartile range, 50.0 to 65.0 years. Among all aortic dissections, 91.5% extended proximally to the sinotubular junction, whereas only 8.6% were restricted to the tubular ascending aorta. The median perimeter-derived diameter of the aortic annulus was 24.1 mm. The median maximum aortic diameter at the sinotubular junction and brachiocephalic trunk were 44.6 mm and 43.5 mm, respectively. The median height of the left coronary artery, right coronary artery, and sinus of Volsalvo were 12.7 mm, 16.7 mm, and 28.4 mm, respectively. After applying exclusion criteria, 66.4% of all patients were anatomically eligible for the modular endobental stent graft system. A total of 85.1% of patients were suitable for stent grafts with lengths of 70 mm, 80 mm, or 90 mm. Both antigradly and retrogradely tapered stent grafts were required, according to the diameter differences between the STJ and brachiocephalic trunk. Conclusions Utilizing the modular endobental stent graft design, approximately two-thirds of patients with type A aortic dissection are anatomically eligible for endovascular repair. Further animal studies are required to optimize the device design. Implications of aortic neck dilation following thoracic endovascular aortic repair. Objective. This article reports on a retrospective observational study designed to evaluate the incidence, etiology, and clinical implications of aortic neck dilation following thoracic endovascular aortic repair, TVAR, for aneurysms with landing zones 2 and 3. Methods. The study included 37 patients who underwent TVAR and had postoperative computed tomography angiography available within 30 days and at least one computed tomography angiography at one year postoperatively. The primary endpoint was proximal aortic dilation, defined as growth greater than or equal to 5M or greater than or equal to 10% of the original diameter, and secondary endpoints included annual growth of the aneurysmal sac, device migration, and the leak and reintervention with additional neck-related adverse events. The measurements taken during follow-up included the maximum diameter of the aneurysm aortic diameter at various locations relative to the stent graft. Results During follow-up, a significant increase in aortic diameter was observed at the proximal edge of Devar. The estimated freedom from 5 mm or 10% proximal aortic neck growth at 1, 2, and 3 years was 81%, 70%, and 65%, respectively. At the proximal edge of Devar the type 3 aortic arch was significantly associated with 5 mm growth during follow-up, P equals 0.047, and this growth, 5 mm or 10%, as well as a 10% increase at plus 20 mm were significantly associated with more aortic-related reinterventions. Moreover, an aortic diameter at the start less than 36 mm was associated with a greater increase during follow-up, 
area under curve and receiver operating characteristic greater than 80%, p less than 0.05. Conclusions The study concludes that proximal aortic dilation after Tavar is a common and progressive phenomenon, and the management strategies for aortic neck dilation, including surveillance, secondary interventions, and open conversion, should be considered carefully to optimize patient outcomes and improve the long-term success of the procedure. Discrepancies in clavicle to carotid bifurcation length measurements for transcarotid artery revascularization using different imaging modalities. Objective. Transcarotid artery revascularization, TCAR, has emerged as an effective method for carotid artery stenting. However, anatomic eligibility for CAR is most often limited by an inadequate clavicle to carotid bifurcation length of less than 5 cm. Preoperative clavicle to carotid bifurcation distances may be underestimated when using conventional straight line measurements on computed tomographic angiography, CTA, imaging. We therefore compared clavicle to carotid bifurcation lengths as measured by straight line CTA, centerline CTA, and intraoperative duplex ultrasound, US, to assess potential differences. Methods We conducted a single center, Retrospective review of consecutive CAR procedures performed between 2016 and 2019 for atherosclerotic carotid disease. Results Of the 70 CAR procedures identified, 46 had all three imaging modalities available for review. The median clavicle to carotid bifurcation length was found to be 6.4 cm, interquartile range, IQR, 5.4 to 6.7 cm, on straight line CTA. 7.0 cm, IQR, 6.0 to 7.5 cm, on intraoperative duplex US, and 7.2 cm, IQR, 6.5 to 7.5 cm, on centerline CTA, V less than 0.001. Patients with a greater than or equal to 0.5 cm difference between their straight line CTA and either their intraoperative duplex US or centerline CTA measurements were more likely to have tortuous CCAs, 60.0% versus 19.1%, P equals 0.01, 51.4% versus 0.0%, P equals 0.01. There were no notable differences in age, gender, prior neck-slash-cervical spine surgery, or neck immobility among these individuals. In patients with tortuous CCAs, duplex US and centerline CTA measurements added 1.0 cm, IQR, 0.6 to 1.5 cm, and 1.1 cm, IQR, 0.9 to 1.6 cm, more in length than straight-line CTA measurements, respectively. There was a strong linear correlation between the additional lengths provided by duplex U.S. measurements and those provided by centerline CTA measurements for each individual within the tortuous CCA group, R equals 0.83. Conclusions The use of straight-line CTA during preoperative planning can underestimate the clavicle to carotid bifurcation lengths in patients undergoing carotid revascularization, particularly in those with tortuous CCAs. Both duplex US performed with extended neck surgical positioning and centerline CTA provide similar and longer carotid length measurements, and should be utilized in patients with tortuous carotid vessels to better determine CAR anatomic eligibility.
The Vascular Quality Initiative Assessment of the Barred Lifestin for the Treatment of Popliteal Artery Occlusive Disease. Objective. The Barred Lifestin Self-Expanding Stent is approved for the treatment of occlusive disease involving the superficial femoral artery and proximal popliteal artery. We conducted a post-market trial of treatment of the popliteal artery above and below the knee, P1, P2, and P3 segments, within the Society for Vascular Surgery Vascular Quality Initiative, BQI, Peripheral Vascular Intervention Registry. Methods A single-arm, prospective trial was conducted at 29 VQI sites in the United States, enrolling 74 patients from November 2016 to May 2019. The primary safety outcome was freedom from major adverse events including device-slash-procedure-related mortality and major amputation at one year. The primary efficacy outcomes were freedom from target vessel revascularization and freedom from target lesion revascularization at one year. Secondary outcomes included lesion success, procedural success, primary, primary-assisted, and secondary patency, and sustained clinical, improvement in Rutherford class, and hemodynamic success, increase in ankle brachial index greater than 0.10. Outcomes were assessed by Kaplan-Meier analysis. Arteriogram of patients undergoing target lesion revascularization were assessed for stent fracture by a core laboratory. Results. The mean age was 71 years, with 63.5% male and 55% with diabetes. The indication was claudication 28% and chronic limb-threatening ischemia in 72%. The superficial femoral artery popliteal artery was stented in 38% and the popliteal artery alone in 62%. The majority of stents were placed in the P1 plus P2, 39%, or P1 plus P2 plus P3, 37%, segments of the popliteal artery. The composite primary endpoint of freedom from major adverse events was 82% and 74% at 1 and 2 years, respectively. Freedom from mortality was 100% and 97%, and freedom from major amputation was 100% and 90% at 1 and 12 months, with all deaths and major amputations occurring in patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia. Freedom from target lesion revascularization was 86%, and freedom from target vessel revascularization was 84% at 12 months. At discharge, lesion treatment success was 99%, and procedural success was 82%. Primary patency was 80% and 72%, primary-assisted patency was 80% and 72%, and secondary patency was 89% and 82% at 12 and 24 months. Sustained clinical success was 98% and 95%, and sustained hemodynamic success was 100% and 79% at 12 and 24 months. Conclusions In this multicenter, registry-based, single-arm prospective study the Bard Life Stent Self-Expanding Stent demonstrated favorable performance in the challenging anatomy of the P2 and P3 popliteal segment. Post-market studies for label expansion of peripheral vascular intervention devices can be successfully conducted within the Society for Vascular Surgery VQI Registry. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. The impact of hospital experience in bariatric surgery on short-term outcomes after minimally invasive esophagectomy, a nationwide analysis. Background. Minimally invasive esophagectomy, MIE, 
is a technically challenging procedure with a substantial learning curve. Composite volume of upper gastrointestinal, upper GI, procedures for cancer has been previously linked to postoperative outcomes. This study aimed to investigate an association between hospital experience in bariatric surgery and short-term outcomes in MIA. Method Data on esophagectomy patients between 2016 and 2020 were collected from the Dutch Upper Gastrointestinal Cancer Audit, a mandatory nationwide registry. Hospitals were categorized as bariatric or non-bariatric. Multivariable logistic regression investigated short-term postoperative outcomes, adjusting for case mix. Results Of 3,371 patients undergoing esophagectomy in 16 hospitals, 2,450 72.7% underwent MIA. Bariatric hospitals, N equals 6, accounted for 1,057, 43.1%, MIA. Annual volume of bariatric procedures was median 523 and esophagectomies 42. In non-bariatric hospitals, volume of esophagectomies was median 52, P equals 0.145. Overall postoperative complication rate was lower in bariatric hospitals, 59.2% versus 65.9%, p less than 0.001. Bariatric hospitals were associated with a reduced risk of overall complications, AOR 0.76, 95% C0.62 to 0.92, length of hospital, AOR 0.79, 95% C0.65 to 0.95, and ICU stay, AOR 0.81. 95% C0.67 to 0.98, after MIA. Surgical radicality, R0, did not differ. Lymph node yield, greater than or equal to 15, was lower in bariatric hospitals, 90.0% versus 94.7%, P less than 0.001. Over the years, several short-term outcomes improved in bariatric hospitals compared to non-bariatric hospitals. Conclusion in this nationwide analysis, there was an association between bariatric hospitals and improved short-term outcomes after MIA. Characteristics of bariatric hospitals that could explain this phenomenon and whether this translates to other upper GI procedures may be warranted to identify. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Prognostic significance of sentinel lymph node status in thick primary melanomas, greater than 4 mm background. The key prognostic factors for staging patients with primary cutaneous melanoma are breast low thickness, ulceration, and sentinel lymph node, SLN, status. The multicenter selective lymphadenectomy trial, MSLTI, verified SLN status as the most important prognostic factor for patients with intermediate thickness melanoma, breast low thickness, 1 to 4 mm. Although most international guidelines recommend SLN biopsy, SLNB, also for patients with thick, greater than 4 mm, PT4, melanomas, its prognostic role has been questioned. The primary aim of this study was to establish whether SLN status is prognostic in T4 melanoma tumors. Methods Data for all patients with a diagnosis of primary invasive cutaneous melanoma of Breslow thickness greater than 1 mm in Sweden between 2007 and 2020 were retrieved from the Swedish Melanoma Registry, a large prospective population-based registry. 
A multivariable Cox proportional hazard model for melanoma-specific survival, MSS, was constructed based on Breslow thickness stratified for SLN status. Results The study enrolled 10,491 patients, 1943 of whom had a Breslow thickness greater than 4 mm, PT4. A positive SLN was found for 34% of these PT4 patients. The 5-year MSS was 71%, and the 10-year MSS was 62%. There was a statistically significant difference in MSS between the patients with a positive SLN and those with a negative SLN, hazard ratio of 2.4, 95% confidence interval C1.6 to 3.5, for stage T4A and 2.0, 95% C1.6 to 2.5 for Savage T4B. Conclusion Sentinel lymph node status gives important prognostic information also for patients with thick, greater than 4 mm, melanomas, and the authors thus recommend that clinical guidelines be updated to reflect this. Treatment Variation and Long-Term Outcomes of Low-Grade Appendiceal Neoplasms Background Heterogeneous nomenclature describing appendiceal neoplasms has added to uncertainty around their appropriate treatment. Although a recent consensus has established the term low-grade appendiceal neoplasm, LAMN, we hypothesize that significant variation remains in the treatment of LAMs. Methods We retrospectively reviewed our prospectively maintained appendiceal registry identifying patients with LAMs from 2009 to 2019. We assess variability in treatment, including whether patients underwent colectomy, spread of disease at presentation, and long-term outcomes. Results Of 136 patients with LAMs, 88, 35%, presented with localized disease and 48, 35%, with disseminated peritoneal disease. Median follow-up was 2.9 years, IQR 1.9 to 4.4, and 120, 88%, patients underwent pre-referral surgery. Among 26 pre-referral colectomy patients, 23, 88%, were performed for perceived oncologic needs-slash-nodal evaluation, no nodal metastases were identified. In patients with resected lambs without radiographic evidence of disseminated disease, 41, 47%, underwent second-look diagnostic laparoscopy, DL, to evaluate for occult metastases. No peritoneal metastases were identified. Patients with disseminated disease were treated with cytoreductive surgery-slash-heated intraperitoneal chemotherapy, CRS-slash-HIPAC. For patients undergoing CRS-slash-HIPAC, five-year recurrence-free survival was 94%, 95% C81-98%. For patients with localized disease, 5-year RFS was 98%, 95% C85-99%. Conclusions Significant variation exists in treatment patterns for LAMs, particularly prior to referral to a high-volume center. Patients frequently underwent colectomy without apparent oncologic benefit. In the current era of high-quality cross-sectional imaging, routine use of DL has low yield and is not recommended. Recurrence in this population is rare, and low-intensity surveillance can be offered. Overall prognosis is excellent, even with peritoneal disease.
Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Impact of teletriage pathways on short-stay admission after transfer to a regional burn center for acute burn injury. Background. Regionalized care for burn-injured patients requires accurate triage. In 2016, we implemented a teletriage system for acute burn consultations. We evaluated resource utilization following implementation, hypothesizing that this system would reduce short-stay admissions and prioritize inpatient care for those with higher burn severity. Study Design We conducted a retrospective study of all transferred patients with acute burn injuries from January 1, 2010 to December 31, 2015, and January 1, 2017 to December 31, 2019. We evaluated the proportions of short-stay admissions, discharges less than 24 hours without operative intervention, ICU admission, or concern for non-accidental trauma, among patients transferred before, 2010 to 2015, and after, 2017 to 2019 triage system implementation. Multivariable Poisson regression was used to evaluate factors associated with short-stay admissions. Interrupted time series analysis was used to evaluate the effect of the triage system. Results. There were 4,688 burn transfers, 3,244 pre-implementation and 1,444 post-implementation in the study periods. Mean age was higher post-implementation. 32 versus 29 years, p less than 0.001. Median hospital length of stay, LOS and ICU loss were both one day higher, more patients underwent operative intervention, 19% versus 16%, and median time to first operation was one day lower post-implementation. Short stay admissions decreased from 50%, and equals 1,624, to 39% and equals 561 and patients were 17% less likely to have a short stay admission after implementation, adjusted relative risk, R, 0.83, 95% C, 0.8 to 0.9. Pediatric patients younger than 15 years old composed 43% of all short stay admissions and were much more likely than adult patients to have a short stay admission independent of transfer timing, R, 2.36, 95% C, 1.84 to 3.03. Conclusions Teletriage Burn Transfer Center protocols reduced short-stay admissions and prioritized inpatient care for patients with more severe injuries. Pediatric patients remain more likely to have short-stay admission after transfer. Reducing Retained Foreign Objects in the Operating Room, a Quality Improvement Initiative Background Although the incidence of pediatric retained foreign objects, RFOs, during surgery is diminutive, 132,000th, RFOs are often the most common sentinel events reported. In 2021, our institution noted an increase in RFOs evidenced by a substantial decrease in days between events. We aim to minimize the incidence of RFO which was measured as an increase of days between events at our institution by implementation of a quality improvement initiative. Study Design This effort was conducted across four surgical centers within a tertiary children's healthcare system in December 2021. Patients undergoing surgery within this healthcare system across all surgical specialties were included. The Quality Improvement Initiative was developed by a multidisciplinary team and included six steps focusing on quiet time, minimizing interruptions, 
and closed-loop communication during final surgical count. Seven Plan Do Study Act cycles were used to test, refine, and implement the protocol. Adherence to the final surgical count protocol was monitored throughout the study period. Results In 2021, before protocol implementation, average time between RFO events was 29 days. After implementation of our quality initiative, the final surgical count protocol, we improved to 451 days between RFO events by February 2023, exceeding the upper control limit, 235 days. After implementation, the number of RFO events dropped from 7 in 2021 to 0 in 2022. Adherence to the final surgical count protocol implementation was 96.4% by the end of cycle 7. Conclusions RFOs during pediatric surgical procedures can be successfully reduced using quality improvement methodology focusing on standardizing the procedure of the final surgical count. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Costal margin injuries and transdiaphragmatic intercostal hernia presentation, management and outcomes according to the Sheffield classification. Background. Costal margin rupture, CMR, injuries are underdiagnosed and inconsistently managed, while carrying significant symptomatic burden. We hypothesize that the Sheffield classification system of CMR injuries would relate to injury patterns and management options. Methods. Data were collected prospectively between 2006 and 2023 at a major trauma center in the United Kingdom. Computed tomography scans were interrogated and injuries were categorized according to the Sheffield classification. Clinical, radiologic, management and outcome variables were assessed. Results 54 patients were included in the study. Intercostal hernia, E, was present in 30 patients and associated with delayed presentation, P equals 0.004, expulsive mechanism of injury, i.e. such as occurs with coughing, sneezing, or retching, higher body mass index, P less than 0.001, and surgical management, P equals 0.02. There was a bimodal distribution of the level of the costal margin rupture, with E present and expulsive mechanism injuries occurring predominantly at the 9th costal cartilage, and E absent cases and other mechanisms at the 7th costal cartilage. P less than 0.001. There were correlations between the costal cartilage being thin at the site of the CMR and the presence of E and expulsive etiology, P less than 0.001. Management was conservative in 23 in surgical and 31 cases. Extrathoracic meshy repairs were performed in 3, double layer mesh repairs in 8, sutury repairs in 5, CMR plating in 8. CMR sutures in 2 and associated surgical stabilization of rib fractures in 11 patients. There was one postoperative death. There were 7 repeat surgical procedures in 5 patients. Conclusion The Sheffield classification is associated statistically with presentation, related chest wall injury patterns, and type of definitive management. Further collaborative data collection is required to determine the optimal management strategies. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Efficacy of Incisional Negative Pressure Therapy in Preventing Post-Sternotomy Wound Complications 
Background Sternal wound infections represent a source of significant morbidity and mortality following median sternotomy. The use of incisional negative pressure wound therapy in prevention has yet to be elucidated. Methods A retrospective study was conducted before and after a universal wound care protocol was implemented including the prophylactic use of negative pressure wound therapy, NPWT. The primary endpoint was sternal infections within 90 days of the index operation. Results In the control period, there was a 3.0% rate of sternal infection within 90 days compared to 0.8% in the intervention period, P less than 0.001. An odds ratio of 0.25, 95% confidence interval 0.11, 0.57, P less than 0.001, in the intervention period as compared to the control period was demonstrated. Conclusions The use of a standardized wound care protocol including the universal application of NPWT for patients undergoing cardiac surgery with median sternotomy was an independent predictor of decreased rates of sternal infection. Outcomes for advanced aged, 35 and older, versus younger aged pregnant trauma patients, a multi-center study. Background. Effects of advanced maternal age, AMA, pregnancies, defined as greater than or equal to 35 years, on pregnant trauma patients, PTPs are unknown. This study compared AMA versus younger PTPs, hypothesizing AMA PTPs have increased risk of fetal delivery, FD. Methods. A retrospective, 2016 to 2021. Multicenter study included all PTPs. Multivariable logistic regression was used to evaluate risk of FD after trauma. Results A total of 950 PTPs were included. Both cohorts had similar gestational age and injury severity scores. The AMA group had increased injuries to the pancreas, bladder, and stomach, P less than 0.05. There was no difference in rate or associated risk of FD between cohorts. 5.3% versus 11.4%, or 0.59, C0.19 to 1.88, P greater than 0.05. Conclusion Compared to their younger counterparts, some intra-abdominal injuries, pancreas, bladder, and stomach, were more common among AMA PTPs. However, there was no difference in rate or associated risk of FD in AMA PTPs, thus they do not require increased observation. Delayed versus early hepatic resection among patients with severe traumatic liver injuries undergoing damage control laparotomy. Introduction We aim to assess the effect of timed hepatic resection on the outcomes of patients with high-grade liver injuries who underwent damage control laparotomy, DCL. Methods This is a four-year, 2017-2020, analysis of the ACS to KIEP. Adult trauma patients with severe liver injuries, OSWA grade greater than or equal to IVE, who underwent DCL and hepatic resection were included. We excluded patients with early mortality, less than 24H. Patients were stratified into those who received hepatic resection within the initial operation, early, and take-back operation, delayed. Results Of 914 patients identified, 
29% had a delayed hepatic resection. On multivariable regression analyzes, although delayed resection was not associated with mortality, AOR colon 1.060 comma 95% C 0.57 to 1.97, P equals 0.854, it was associated with higher complications, AOR colon 1.842 comma 95% C 1.38 to 2.46, P less than 0.001, and longer hospital, beta, plus 0.129, 95% C 0.04 to 0.22, P equals 0.005, and ICU, beta, plus 0.198,95% C 0.14 to 0.25, P less than 0.001 loss, compared to the early resection. Conclusion Delayed hepatic resection was associated with higher adjusted odds of major complications and longer hospital and ICU loss, however, no difference in mortality, compared to early resection. Trauma, it is a party, but is everyone invited? A single-center retrospective analysis of trauma patients at risk for early discharge after transfer. Background Transferred trauma patients frequently are discharged after short stays without undergoing treatments. Strategies to decrease unnecessary transfers are needed. Methods We conducted a retrospective analysis of patients transferred to our Level I Center from 2019 to 2021. We identified patients discharged within 24 hours without interventions and compared demographic, activation, injury, and mechanism of injury characteristics with patients requiring more care. A risk score was developed from these factors. Results Of 2,424 patients transferred, 463 19% were discharged within 24 hours. In an integer score, age, 1 pint, injury severity score, Less than 6 equals 5 pints, 7 to 9 equals 2 pints, recreational mechanism, 3 pints, no hypertension, 1 pint, no diabetes, 2 pints, no dementia, 3 pints, chest, 1 pint, external, 4 pints, face, 5 pints, and head slash neck trauma, 2 pints, were associated with early discharge. The score stratified risk of early discharge from 4.8%, score less than 7 to 67%, score greater than 15. Conclusion When prospectively validated the risk score may identify patients who can be managed without transfer. Survey shows all surgical residents have exposure to robotic surgery yet no formalized curricula exist amongst programs, a Southwest Surgical Congress survey. Background Increased robotic surgery exposure during general surgery training occurs at many institutions without a formal education curriculum. Our study evaluates the current state of general surgery robotic training within programs represented by the Southwestern Surgical Congress, SWSC. Methods A web-based survey regarding robot-assisted surgery, RAS, and general surgery training was developed and sent to member institutions of the SWSE. General surgery program directors were asked to voluntarily complete the survey. Results were evaluated in aggregate. Descriptive analysis was used. Results. In total, 28 programs responded. 
all reported resident exposure to RAS during training. Case mix was diverse with exposure to multiple general surgical subspecialties. 89% of programs reported the presence of a formal RAS curriculum, however, only 53% reported recognition of training completion. Case volumes also varied amongst programs with 46% of programs reporting residents logging 21 to 40 cases and 35% logging more than 40 cases in total. Conclusion Exposure to RAS among SWSC residency programs is ubiquitous, however, there is significant variation between programs in case volumes, case types, and elements of RAS curricula. Pre-hospital tourniquet placement and extremity trauma. Background. Extremity tourniquets, ET, use has increased in trauma systems to manage traumatic hemorrhage. This study aims to evaluate pre-hospital ET placement. Methods. This is a retrospective review of a prospectively collected cohort of 211 adult patients who underwent pre-hospital ET placement over three and a half years. Data regarding ET placement was analyzed regarding ET applier, reported indications, extremity appearance at arrival and outcomes. Results A total of 211 patients had completed data sheets. Of these patients, 63.2% had no other intervention prior to ET placement. On arrival, nearly one-third of the patients had palpable pulses with ET in place and less than half had arterial bleeding upon ET release. Discussion slash conclusions. This study shows that ET are frequently used as the initial intervention in the field. It is of paramount importance that we adapt our first responders' training to teach wound assessment and appropriate steps in management of extremity hemorrhagic trauma. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead. Stay blessed and be humane.